Um, so my name is Ben Seneker. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. I'm stepping in for Patrick this morning. I, I honestly, these days, I feel a little bit like a circuit rider or an itinerant preacher because I'm. Um, so we have from this church, we have three plants: one in Brevard, one in Tryon, one in Hendersonville, and I'm kind of. I, I, I preach at a lot of those churches, so but it's good to be here uh, with you guys. We have been going through Galatians since January, and we're actually, this is our final um, s- sermon on this series, and I don't know if you guys remember, but last summer we were going through Acts, and I was called in to land that plane, um, <laughs> sort of becoming typecast, uh, typecast in the, being the, clo- the closer. Um, with this, so, um, but if you remember, so if you've been here and, and listening to this, um, or if you haven't, this is kind of the, the the cause for writing the letter. Paul Paul wrote it to a bunch of churches in what we now call Turkey because he had started those churches and left to start other churches. But in the meantime, other folks were moving in to those churches, and they're saying, "Yeah, that that message that Paul preached to you is incomplete." You gotta have faith in Jesus, but in order to really be saved, you gotta keep the law. You gotta do all these works. And Paul is hearing about this and he's writing them this letter to say, no, that's not how it is. Your works can't save you. Only faith in Christ can save you. And so he's just been saying that over and over again through the letter. And then here we are now at the final, uh, passage. Paul is closing the letter. He's signing off. Uh, what is he saying? And just, I'm about to read it, but before I do, just to give you a sort of a warning, it, it's a little dizzying, um, this passage. The first time I read it, I was like, I'm supposed to preach on that? How, what, what is going on? But as I've gone through it, I'm seeing that what Paul is really doing is summarizing the entire letter in this final thing. It's like when you visit friends or family and you kind of want to say all these like final things before taking off. This is kind of what uh, Paul is doing. He's summarizing the letter. So as I read it, keep that in mind. Uh, keep the letter and what he said, that your works can save you, faith in Christ saves you. Keep that in mind as we now turn to the passage. And if this is your first Sunday here, um, you're kind of in luck because this is the message of Galatians we're about to look at. So if you could please, uh, if you're willing and able, stand for the reading of God's word. I will read it and then we will get moving. So this is Galatians 6, verses 6 through 18. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we now turn to this time where we do look with expectation to be fed. So I do pray that the distractions of the world and of our own hearts fade for this moment that we we do turn to feed. Um, Be with me, restrain my own sin in this moment, and may the the message of the gospel be proclaimed clearly in this moment, all for the sake of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Maybe some of you remember as a kid Aesop's fables, Uh, these ancient stories, short stories that contain within them some sort of moral or a lesson for life, and they're often taught to kids to like instill in them morality and certain values. And there's one story in particular, one fable called The Ants and the Grasshopper. I don't know if you remember this one. I, when I was a kid, I remember seeing Disney's animated version of it from like the 30s, but I just vividly still remember this one. And uh, if, you, if you don't know this story, I'm going to read it to you. Um, so if you'll indulge me, because I think this is, this is going to serve as a nice jumping off point for us as we discuss this last passage. So we're going to have story time with Ben for a moment, if that's okay. One bright day in late autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out the grain they had stored up during the summer, when a starving grasshopper his fiddle under his arm, came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world were you doing all last summer? I didn't have time to store up any food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music, were you? they cried. Very well, now dance. And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went on with their work. The end. Pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. Can you imagine being a kid, being read that right before going to bed, and having all these questions about the grasshopper and what's going on and what was the economic situation? And Don't worry, Timmy. You'll, you'll find out soon enough what happens to the grasshopper. Just go to sleep. There are a lot of versions of that out there. This is from the Library of Congress. And at the very end, they have this little line that says, the the moral of the story, there's a time for work and a time for play. And I thought about that when I was reading this passage because I I think another way to say that is that you will reap what you sow. During the summertime, the ants were busy at their work, storing up food for the winter so that when winter came, they wouldn't starve But the grasshopper didn't do any work. He was too busy playing his fiddle. And so when the fall and winter came, he starved. And I'm mentioning this fable again because it certainly seems that this goes right along with what Paul is saying in this passage, right? Looking at verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
And then he goes on to say that if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. And so in our minds, it's kind of like this question. Okay, so which are you going to be, the ant or the grasshopper? We're once again in this passage seeing this contrast between the flesh and the spirit. You might remember him talking about these things back in chapter 5. Contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. And I don't know if you remember this, but the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, jealousy, fits of anger, and a whole host of other things. But then he describes the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And what he says about these two is that they're opposed to each other. They're against each other. And they're even like at war with one another. And so in our passage, Paul is contrasting the flesh and the spirit again. But instead of using like military imagery, he's using a farming metaphor. You reap what you sow. Or said a little differently, you harvest what you plant. And even if you're not a farmer, you can probably relate to this, right? I mean, our lives and culture reinforce this all the time. If you sow exercise and diet, you reap health. If you sow living beyond your means, you reap debt. If you sow hard work and discipline, you'll reap a good job and a happy life. That's what we're told. Personally, if I sow drinking coffee after five, I reap a sleepless night. There's a whole ton of these. And since we're fed from our culture, we're fed this narrative, we're taught this from Aesop's fables when we were kids, and even experience versions of it in our lives, when we read Paul in verses 7 and 8 telling us that we reap what we sow, if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption, but if we sow to the spirit, we reap eternal life, We jump to our own conclusion and apply this, or have the tendency to do this, apply this to our relationship with Christ. So what do I mean by this? If we jump to our own conclusion and take what we've learned from culture and apply it to the passage, we say that sowing to the flesh must simply mean sinning against God, acting upon, in thought, word, and deed, our sinful nature, gratifying the desires of the flesh, like he talks about in chapter 5, In other words, sown to the flesh means seeking and serving something other than Christ as our Savior. And if that's what's sown, then naturally what is reaped is eternal destruction rather than eternal life. Conversely, or on the other hand, if we take what we learn from culture and apply it to this, we conclude that if I sow to the Spirit, if I do things that honor God and and, and obey Him and resist temptation, spend time in prayers and spend time in Scripture and I come to church and do all these other things, If that is sown, what I reap is eternal life. And so we conclude that if we do bad things, so the flesh, we go to the bad place. If we do the good things, so the spirit, we go to the good place, go to heaven. We reap what we sow. Got it. Done. But here's where we need to really check that kind of thinking. We have to pay attention to this because while it's certainly true that sowing to the flesh, as I described it, leads to corruption and an eternal death, and sowing to the spirit, as I described it, will reap eternal life, we must, we must, like I said in the beginning, read this passage with the rest of Galatians in mind without prematurely jumping to our own conclusions based on what we've learned from culture, but also what we still hear from that residual sinful nature that we still have within us. That sinful nature has been crucified, right? We've read that. 
but it's still lingering. And that little voice is saying, no, come back. You got to earn your salvation. Because if this is what all Paul is saying here, that if you do the bad things, you go to the bad place. But if you do the good things, you go to the good place. He, like us, would be completely forgetting everything else he's written in Galatians, but also everywhere else. The gospel message is that you cannot save yourself. Your good deeds can't save you. Only faith in Christ can save you. If we forget that, we've tossed out the Bible, we've tossed out the gospel, and have adopted, listen to me here, Aesopology. I made it up this past week, and I love it. The study of believing the lie that our morality and good works can save us. The study and forgetting that we are saved by faith alone and think that our good works can save us. Adopting the theology of an ant. We all do it. If we're going to be saved, we've got to work hard. That's anti-gospel. Aesopology is anti-gospel. Because again, we're like walking away, and even tomorrow morning, okay, I've got to be like an ant, not a grasshopper. got to be like an ant, not a grasshopper. You're, if you start, start saying that out loud, your coworkers may think you're a little... Uh, but that's what we do in our hearts. Now, obviously, we have responsibilities, we have jobs to do and everything, but when, we talk, when we're talking about spiritual things, in our relationship with Christ, we can't adopt Aesopology or the theology of an ant and thinking that we can earn our salvation. Okay. If that's what we believe, Aesopology, we're forgetting the gospel, we're throwing everything out, uh, everything that's, that's Paul, that Paul has written. I'm going to jump to verse 15. He's hammer, hammering home this point once again. The same thing he's been saying throughout Galatians. Neither circumcision counts for anything. Remember, people were coming in saying, oh, believe in Jesus, but you've got to keep the law. Neither circumcision, part of the law, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. That doesn't matter either. What matters? A new creation. Keeping the law, not keeping the law, being an ant, being a grasshopper, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is for you and I to become a new creation. And I think he says that so well back in chapter 4. Because again, we've got to remember, this is a summary of Galatians. So where else has he said this beautifully? And I think it's for starting at verse 4. And I'm just going to read it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that what? We might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Circumcision doesn't count. Keeping the law doesn't count. Uncircumcision, not keeping the law, doesn't count. That's not what we're talking about. What matters is becoming a new creation. Why did that even have to happen? Well, we're condemned under the law. We stand condemned. That is why in due time, again, it's kind of like a farming metaphor. In due time, God sent his son to transfer us, transfer us from being spiritual orphans, feeling like we have to earn and, and, and create and sustain our value. We're transferred from that to becoming a child of God. And that comes at the moment the Spirit of God enters our hearts, crying, crying out, Abba, Father. This is beauty. This is the gospel. And if we're going to boast in something, let's boast in that. Far be it from us to boast and anything else. Do you remember the, the, the tone of voice of the ants in that fable? 
shrugging their shoulders in disgust at the grasshopper, telling them, telling him that since he's been playing music all summer, he should now just dance. Kind of snarky. And turning their backs on him and then just going on with their work. They were boasting in themselves. The ants were boasting in what they had accomplished. And this is also what it means to sow to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh is not just sexual immorality, drunkenness, and anger. It's also doing good works because you think those good works will save you. Esopology, sowing to the flesh. So we really only have two options, to boast in yourself or boast in the cross. And like Paul, we should all say, far be it from us to boast in anything else but the cross. So let's, let's talk about this, though. We need, to, we need to look at this word boast that Paul uses in verse uh, 14. Because what does that mean? I mean, if I were to just come down and just ask you, what does it mean to boast in the cross? What does that mean? What does the word boast mean? And here it's, it's, it's hard in English to capture exactly in one word the one word that Paul uses in Greek. And that's just the richness of the language. I so see why God chose Greek for his New Testament, because it's so rich. And so we're supposed to now just choose one English word to capture this Greek word that is just dripping with nuance. You can't do that. Boast is okay, the English word, but it certainly goes beyond that. So for example, boast is not just bragging. That can be really destructive. That's not what we're talking about here. Boasting is to glory in something, to trust in something, to rejoice in something, to revel in something, and to live for something. <laughs> and we just wrote boast. All right? Again, kind of, but it goes so much uh, deeper than that. One commentator I was reading this week says, says it this way, the object of our boast, the cross of Christ, fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a way, our boast where our glory is our obsession. Isn't that awesome? So when we talk about boasting of the cross, that's what Paul is getting at. To give a quick picture of this, whenever we have a fifth Sunday, do you guys know what we do in the cafe here? Donuts. In April, just set your, set your uh, watches for this. April is a fifth Sunday, so come prepared. But last... Uh, October, we also had a fifth Sunday. So we had, that was a, a donut Sunday. But for some reason, there was a mix up and our donuts came on the fourth Sunday. So we had our new, our usual, um, I don't know, stash of pastries and everything to sell, but also, um, donuts. And so in one of the happiest moments of my life, um, <laughs> I was tasked with, um, disposing of the excess donuts. And I handled that personally um, <laughs> for several of them. Uh, don't judge. Um, but then I just started handing them out. I mean, there were stacks of Krispy Kreme donuts. And they said, Ben, get rid of them. On it. <laughs> and and I, I mean, do you realize how happy you can make someone a total stranger. I mean, you kind of weird them out a little bit. That, yeah, but when you just show up and give them a free dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts, I was like, I was like a donut bandit. 
driving around Hendersonville, going to schools and offices, handing out donuts. It was awesome. I had this abundance of donuts. I was freely giving them away. I was, in a sense, boasting in my donuts. I was reveling in what I had to share with others, and it was glorious. Now, stay with me on this analogy. I'm using, I'm, you see what I'm doing? Gospel and donuts, uh, right? I'm just going to keep on this track just for a little bit more. Because people can grow weary. And, and again, stay with me. Not everyone likes donuts. Not everyone is ready to, to receive donuts. They might even be dieting. And it can be wearisome. You're in possession of this thing that you know would immediately change their outlook on life. <laughs> but they still say no. And you can't eventually grow weary of that rejection. I had a conversation this past week with Gary Helms. Gary and his wife, Ashley, you probably know, members here, but they're serving in London as missionaries. And they've been there for three or four years now. And I honestly thought of them the second I read in verse 9 to not grow weary of doing good. Because the work they're doing and the, their team, uh, the work they're, they're, they and their team are doing in London is, um, especially among the Muslim communities, is very difficult. It's very difficult. And so, and so we Skyped and I just asked him, how do you and, and, and Ashley keep from becoming weary of the work that you're doing? And he kind of sat back and he looked at me. And he said, kind of matter-of-factly, he said, but this is not our work. It's not our work. We're instruments. We can't change people. It's the spirit that draws people to himself and does the changing. But what we are doing is planting seeds. And there's great freedom in that, but it's also a struggle. And again, I could, I could see it, I could hear it in his voice, and he told me stories that would have definitely left me wearied. So as an aside, we need to continue to pray for our missionaries. But Gary's boast is not in himself. Again, it's not, it's not their work, it's the Spirit's work. And so they boast in the cross, it's a strange thing, I think, to boast in a method of execution. And coming right out of Easter, we have this fresh in our minds. But to boast in the cross means to boast in what it means. That you are free, you're no longer a slave to sin, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are adopted. Boasting in the cross means living a crucified Life, like Paul says at the end of verse 14, I love this. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That is profound. Just let that sink in a little bit. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We no longer derive meaning, worth, or value from anything the world offers, but only derive these things from Christ. We enjoy the world, right? We're even commanded to go out in it to do God's work in it, and to enjoy God's creation. Not hold ourselves up in a little compound or something, but to be out. But to do it through the lens of the gospel, that we're not deriving worth, value, or anything else that the world is trying to offer us. 
with this secure, getting this from Christ, resting in what Christ has purchased for us, we are now free to love. And Patrick has been saying this diligently uh, through the series, that we're not just freed, um, f- well, we're not just freed from something, but we're freed to something. I don't know if you remember him saying this. We're freed from sin, but it's not just a getting us out of jail uh, and then that's it. We're also freed for something. Christians are doers. We're, we're, we're doing so in response of the freedom we have. And the, the order of that is so important. We don't love others in order to receive or earn salvation. But we love others as a response to Christ's work of earning that salvation for us. That order is so important. I had that backwards for so many years. The Spirit of God is within us. Our identity in salvation is secure. And now we are compelled out of a response to God's love for us through our adoption to, as Paul says, so to the Spirit. It's a response. And really, sowing to the Spirit is another way of saying to boast in the cross. I really think those are, are synonymous ideas. Sowing to the Spirit, boasting in the cross, those go hand in hand. And therefore, we sow and we boast by spending time in prayer reading scripture, receiving the sacraments, confessing your sin, confessing all those other things in your life that you're boasting about, except Christ. Right? We boast about our job, our family, reputation, education, all this stuff we're boasting about except Christ. We need to confess that. And freed from all of that, we then love and serve others, all people. Love and serve all people but especially those within the family of God. And did you notice, Paul begins our passage with a very practical way to do that. In verse 6, let the one who is taught the word, let the one who is taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. And Patrick's not here, so I'm going to be very bold in this. Paul has financial support in mind when he writes this. That we who are taught the word from Patrick week in and week out are called to support him and his family with our finances generously, but also with our prayers and in the ways we love and serve both Patrick and his family. That's verse 6. We shouldn't just come here to consume, but to serve. And I'll conclude with this. I think it's good to pause And ask ourselves how we're sowing to the spirit and how we're sowing to the flesh, because we're all doing both. If we're in Christ, we still, we, we still act like ants. Right? We still adopt Aesopology. Sowing to the flesh, boasting in the flesh. If you don't know how you're doing that, look at what you're reaping and follow that back. Trace it back to the source. The broken relationships, the corruption, the frustration, the feelings of inadequacy. Follow it back to see what you're sowing. Because you're sowing to the flesh. God help us see that. But also, we need to stop and, and do a little inventory. How are we sowing to the Spirit? How are we putting our hope in Christ and believing in Christ instead of believing self? Believing the gospel instead of believing self? How are we doing that? And let's be encouraged by that. That's good. That's the Spirit's work in your life. Be encouraged by that. In the end, and let's kind of use this as, a, as another foundation, in the end we know that we will reap eternal life. That, we know that. So with that as a, as a lens, 
as, and that's being secured and everything, has been won by Christ, with that as a lens, let's now sow to the Spirit. In the meantime, with that as our end, in the meantime, what we will reap by sowing to the Spirit is holiness. We will reap holiness. We will reap joy, even in times of hardship. You like what I did there? I'm doing all of this in my mind. Should I just keep going? This is awesome. I feel like when I'm making my last point, oh. Making the last point to really hammer it home, have the light kind of shift. That's brilliant. This really is my last point. Just ask. Just do a quick evaluation. As you sow in the Spirit, how are you loving your pastor? And even Greg and Bree, and I mean all of our other leaders, Melanie, everyone who's working here. How are you loving and serving them and not just consuming from them? Um, how are you loving and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ? I think the easiest way, the easiest way to do it is to say hi. We have an awesome cafe ministry. That is a great place to just say hi. And I shouldn't say it's really easy. That actually might be terrifying. And it's kind of terrifying to me too, just to walk up to someone and say hi. But that's a loving act. It is. Here, to just come together as brothers and sisters and then not even say hi to each other. No, let's call, we're called to come in and say hi. But then, but then lastly, how are, we, how are we called loving people outside the walls of this church? Our pastor, each other's, but then everyone else. And, and, and that's obviously what we're, we're called to do here in this, in this passage. Living a life, giving off the aroma of Christ, boasting in his cross. That's the Christian life. Please pray with me. Father, there was a lot said this morning in your word. It's incredibly rich. And it might, to some, feel like a burden. But I pray that, that by your spirit it's not received like that. This is good news. This is, all, this is all a truth that has been won by Christ. And we're not called to be ants and then earn our salvation, but simply to receive through faith. Give us that faith as a gift so that we won't boast in our works but we will boast in the cross. Be glorified, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.